Good evening, everybody, and this is uh, Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive, bi-weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the Fruited Plains. My name is George, N2APB, and along with me every single episode is Joe, N2CX, and together we like to bring you different uh, topics of interest for uh Again, as we said, uh, hams and home brewers everywhere. Projects, explanations, theories, discussion, components, cool products, whatever. And uh, tonight is episode number 79. And uh, we are now in the second installment of our Elmer 101 series. Elmer 101 is uh, the term that that uh, our QRP and homebrewing community uses for teaching um, teaching topics. Um, of course, we all know what an Elmer is, <clears throat> but we've extended our community has extended that to be the you know to be uh, a series of uh, manuals, instructions, and in our case, a series of episodes here on Chat with the Designers where we talk about the building of the Small Wonder Labs SW30 Plus. Transceiver from Dave Benson, K1SWL. This is a classic design. Uh, Dave, uh, back when he was called NN1G, wrote uh, or designed a, uh, a 4040 transceiver, which he subsequently improved upon and um, continued working to make it better all the time and, and then began selling it as part of his uh, Small Wonder Labs operation. Uh, neither the kit nor Dave um, are in um, in uh, uh, active operation anymore. But Dave has been really kind enough to share, allow us to uh, to share the design amongst us here in the chat with the designers, and um, and really enjoy building this thing up step by step, which is what we're going to be uh, uh, doing here over the next oh umpteen episodes. We're not sure how long it's going to take, but we know we're having fun doing it. Um, Joe, do you want to kind of fill in the holes there and help me uh, just kind of open up with the broad strokes? Sure. Yeah, as, as George mentioned, um, the um, kits that uh, Dave Benson designed are um, simple, uh, relatively simple, but uh, fairly high performance for uh, uh, as, as simplistic as they are. Um, very, very professionally uh, done and uh, uh, popular with the QRP community for uh, just fiddling around or, uh, in fact, some of the guys go out and take them on the trail, take them uh, portable because they're all small. They uh, generally run a couple watts. Um, the one we're, uh, the, the design we're playing with is uh, CW, runs about uh, two, two watts or so. Dave has also designed some uh, single sideband rigs. But um, these are based on uh, uh, super head design. They have a, uh, a very good super head design. It's not the world's greatest. It uses um, NE612, NE602, 612 uh, mixers. So it's not really high performance. But for uh, casual use, uh, you're not going to use it in contests. But for casual use, it's great. It's very simple, uh, low power drain, and uh, works quite well. Um, has very good break-in, and um, it uh, has a built-in offset for um, tuning. 
so that you automatically transmit uh, offset from the carrier so that um, you have um, you have good uh, CW performance. And um, having a crystal filter in there uh, puts it worlds above the uh, simple direct conversion transceivers. So we're going to be uh, describing over the series of uh, uh, programs here, um, building up the kit. Um, we had a run of uh, roughly 100 that uh, went like wildfire. So it's called, the kits sold very quickly. And, um, you know, we only had permission to do a limited number. So uh, what's here is here. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Um, we're going to kind of bang it back and forth between several of us tonight as we go through this, uh, describing the process of building it up, um, how the thing works, and um, how to check it out, how to verify uh, as you build it in sections as we go along. Back to you, George. Yeah, fine, Joe. Thank you. And we're also going to be including a lot in our discussions tonight, uh, Mike, WA8BXN, who has been integral in this whole project with us, um, along with uh, some others on our team, such as Larry. I don't see Larry here tonight. K3PEG. Larry was uh, the main man in the kitting operation. And uh, along with Joe and me and, uh, and Mike, we uh, pretty much are the core team. We had, we had some cool partners that we talked about last time. Of course, Craig AA0ZZ. Um, Craig is the designer of that. I, I keep calling it the nifty red enclosure, and that's exactly what it is. It's right up there on top of the, of the page. Um, it is just so cool. Pictures don't even do it justice. I mean, I'm looking over here at mine. I have a couple made up, and uh, it is, like, awesome. And we have some really interesting things that we're going to be doing uh, with that, um, some accessories. Uh, Keyer kit is being made up. So to turn that uh, key, that, that straight key jack in the back into a paddle input and an electronic keyer on the inside, Man, oh man, for for just a few bucks, you'll have a nicely integrated keyer in, in there. As well as uh, a couple of different kinds of displays. We're not going to talk much more about that right uh, today. Um, Arduino control, a couple of us here are just really into Arduinoizing some of our projects here. And it's lots of fun. So we're going to be talking about uh, in in. Oh, it's maybe two or three episodes. We'll be starting introducing some of these different things. But if you have an Arduino, whether it's uh, one of the older, uh, uh, oh gosh, what's the older ones called, Joe? The original larger there, Arduino? Um, Arduino Uno, I think was the first. Yeah, maybe it was the Uno, right. So either whether it's the, U the Uno or uh, the Nano. I like working with the Nano. You can get the Nano these days for something on the order of like uh, $5.50 with free shipping. From your uh, from your favorite over offshore source, but nonetheless, uh, uh, that's that's where they are. And also, we've got a special work in progress that's providing spectrum output, and such that you can see the spectrum on um, by tapping off the IF. And we'll show how to do that and some of the neatness that can occur because of that. So, the uh, the enclosure, whether you have one or two or ten. Um, is a really nice thing to get. And I guess we would urge you to uh, um, to scarf up what you can. We have just a handful of them left. Once they're gone, they're not going to be done again. Um, 
and you'll never see the the small wonder 30 the small wonder enclosure available like you see it here on the screen again but uh um just uh the heads up on that one and also the freak mites is another partner that we had with uh the four state qrp group um they uh, they gave us a special price discount on the freak mites and all of those that they gave us for this run of the kits are gone dun, 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 dun. however you can now go directly to the four state qrp group website and ultimately buy it from them for maybe just a couple of bucks more than what we had it here as a bundled price but the freak mite of course is a very nice frequency enunciator tap a button and it enunciates or sounds the actual frequency in Morse code through the audio path right into the headphones that you have plugged into the little into the little rig. And it's just like so cool. And it makes it a, a wonderful, wonderful rig for field operation. Um, gosh, that's... Uh, oh, I wanted to mention one more thing, too. And it's totally aside, um, as an aside. Uh, we always wanted to mention new prod, uh, new products or things that, that might be of interest to many other hams in this program series, um, the chat with the designers. And here, here's one that um, I'm seeing a lot of success with. I was on the road last week um, and away from home, and I had some spare time in the evenings to do some uh, little bit of experimentation. And I, I found this old microphone chip um, or a microphone amplifier EQ and processor chip called the SSM 2166P. It's listed there in the notes oh, section at the top of our page. And um, son of a gun, if it isn't working great, I have built into the base of my D104. I have a couple of D104s, one with an amplifier and another one without. It just didn't have it. And I built this thing into the bass thing there, and it is just like so superb. I love being able to tailor the audio um, frequency response of the voice. I'm into AM operation a lot, and uh, quality a quality voice um, is uh, quality phone characteristics is, is a big part of uh, an AMer, and um, this helps me do that. I just thought I'd mention that, and... Uh, you can look at it. You can still get it on eBay. It's no longer manufactured or available from any manufacturer, but you can get anything you want pretty much on eBay. And that's where I got mine. So, and there's a neat application note. Uh, I follow the app note directly from, uh, from that when I did the search. So anyway, so much for that. Um, let's see. We, um, um, I think we're all queued up here, so I wanted to mention that essentially what we're doing in this series is following through the assembly manual. And the updated manual is now linked. It is now up on the website. It's available at the links that wherever it says the updated manual or whether wherever it says the assembly manual. And I also put it there at the top of our whiteboard here as item number five there in the notes section. So be sure to download that. We uh, fixed a bunch of glitches that were in there originally, and the parts layouts are easier to see. Um, and once again, I'll mention that this is a product uh, 99, well, let's say 89 percent, 89 and 44 one hundredths percent, uh, a product of Mike WA8BXN, um, who has been our advanced scout 
throughout all of this adventure. And Mike um, created a, just a fabulous set of notes that we are going to be following step by step here in the Elmer 101 series. So um, you'll, you'll see the product of his work when you download that. So uh, let's see. Um, Joe, uh, let's see. Who, um, who has, uh, let me ask for a show of hands here. Who's received their kits and actually opened it up and started assembly? Um, can we have a show of hands? Okay, Dave, I see you. Uh, and welcome back. Back to travel. That's good. Dave, is your Vox on? Yeah, maybe not. So, um, also, Craig has done it. Anybody else? Uh, has anybody else kind of uh, started uh, building it up? It's good because we can maybe tap into you and some of your observations along the way. I have. Super. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and so have I. And Rick, that's good. Ob, is that how I pronounce your name? Ob? Yeah, it's Ob, actually. But... Ob, actually. Okay, thanks. <laughs> gotcha. And uh, Rick has done it. Um, anybody else? I started. I started. Oh, of course, Mike. We know that you've uh, you've got it knocked out there. Um, and uh, Anthony WR3T there in the chat uh, box down below on our client said he's opened his, but uh, your workbench is out of commission for a bit. And uh, Alan. Alan K W zero N L Y has done the three items mentioned, uh, probably the first three steps. Okay, good. That's a good uh, overview. Let me just pull on uh, Rick. Let me pull on you and uh, ask you about the parts inventory. And can you give us some observa observations relative to how you found the parts? Were they all there? How were they labeled? Um, what was the process that you went through when you opened up the box for the first time? Well, I may be the wrong person to ask that of because I'm a very impatient kit builder. <clears throat> and if there's anything missing, I find out when I have to go mount it so that it isn't there, and then I've got to go track down a substitute. But uh, I was really impressed with uh, the whoever it was who took the time and effort to tape down all of those components because that made it just infinitely easier to uh, find the, uh, the parts you were looking for. Uh, and it made it gave me assurance that probably they were all there if uh, they had gone to all the trouble of, of taping them down. So uh, that and the and the uh, the board layout that uh, highlighted the uh, components that were going to be used uh, made it pretty straightforward. My only problem was that it was working fine and I didn't realize it, and I spent a lot of time troubleshooting a problem that wasn't there. <laughs> Well, that's a good problem to have, I guess. And part of the process of learning that it was working all the way along, it was probably a bit of a learning exercise, too. Great to hear that. And, again, I see um, I see that Larry has is either here now or I didn't see him before, but Larry K3PEG is the magic behind the kidding. And uh, all of that clarity and time-taking time, time uh, in uh, – uh, putting it all together is because of him. So, Larry, we all thank you. Um, oh, I've not met you before, but really nice to have you here. And you said that you you, you started building things, Obi. So, why don't uh, can, do you have just an observation about uh, the inventorying of parts, maybe beyond what uh, uh, Rick said? 
Uh, in general, I liked the way it was all kitted. It was very, very well kitted. Um, I did find a few little typo mistakes. Of course, they've already been mentioned in, in the observations made by... Uh, uh, By Mike? I'm trying to, yeah, Mike, that's it. Uh, in his, his posts, uh, like C110 was really C111, uh, stuff like that. Um, other than that, and the only other thing I've seen noticed from that is while building it, reading the instructions on some of it, uh, we called out U1 more times than we should have uh, in the description of what things were or were not working. And it, one was supposed to be U2, one was supposed to be U5. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. And you can thank me for that. Um... So if you would, I'm, I, to be honest, I forgot to look back at, uh, Mike, your, uh, your postings there. Um, but, uh, I'll do that and I'll be sure that I get those things uh, smoothed out. This is going to be a reference for use in a long, for, for longer t uh, term. Oh, and I forgot to mention too, too, that, um, the boards we have, uh, although we've run out of the kits, but we have some leftover PCBs, blank PCBs. So as I mentioned in the post today or yesterday, I forgot, if um, you have a hankering to make one of these things up for 40 meters or 20 meters or 80 meters, we've got a components list that um, identifies the ones that are different. Well, actually, it's a, the full components list um, that will allow you to build one of these things up for um, the other bands. So if you want, uh, want to grab one of the uh, circuit boards there and do that on your own, that's that's certainly a fun thing to do, too. Some guys have already mentioned that they want to put it on different bands, um, build one up separately for different bands. Um, okay, Joe, uh, let's see. You haven't gotten to – let's see. Let's do it this way. I think um, just from an assembly or the inventory and process, I wanted just to do, point out the obvious, and um, that is it's a good thing to do is to go through and check out that you've got all the parts. The, the parts that are taped, taped and hard it. to identify are easy for you to, I, to to check out because they're all taped there. And just to kind of sort through and see that um, all the other major parts are there. We will soon have a list or a um, like a photo inventory. I've, I've taken uh, careful, detailed close-up shots Shot. of every component. And we'll have um, those posted on the website uh, shortly just to help identify things if you've got a question and also in the uh, in the uh, briefly mentioned uh, inventory and the power supply section there on the on our uh, whiteboard notes um, I took about I, I took one picture I of, of a component uh, C uh, it's the big electrolytic what is it uh, C112 and uh, pointed out that uh, the negative is indicated by the negative sign there and by default, of course, the positive is the other side. Um, I only mention that if you haven't been building things and you might not really be sure, sometimes the the uh, positive line in a cable might be indicated by a series of dashes, red dashes or whatever. In that case, it means it's positive. Here, the negative is negative. And uh, for electrolytics, it's pretty important that you get these installed properly. So that's about the only super critical polarity item in there besides the diodes which everybody knows that the band of the diode is the cathode and in every cathode installation especially in the power supply and elsewhere the the diode is mounted uh, uh, standing up 
and the top end of the diode is the cathode, which means it has the band around the top end. Joe, I wonder if there's any kind of background on diode notation. I mean, this is trivia stuff and uh, just leading into more of our analysis of things, but um, any history or background on the diodes uh, and such? Yeah, the diodes, uh, actually in this uh, kit, the diodes are really integral to the way it works. Um, there are, um, for voltage regulation, um, the main regulation for the chips is by means of uh, Zener diodes, which are those funny diodes with, a, uh, with an arrow symbol like D11, with an arrow symbol and then a squiggle for the uh, cathode. Um, that's just a shorthand for a, a breakdown diode that has a voltage breakdown um, with a uh, breaks down at a particular voltage and, and regulates at that voltage. Uh, that was a way that uh, Dave had of distributing um, regulation throughout the, uh, the board and, uh, and getting good regulation where he needed it without having a bunch of uh, integrated circuits, simple uh, two, uh, two component uh, or two lead uh, diode does the trick. Um, the other diode that has a funny symbol is D1, um, which is really the heart of tuning in this. It's, um, it's a Vericap diode, a voltage variable capacitance diode. And it has a, um, instead of one bar for the diode symbol, it has two bars, which symbolically look like a capacitor, since it is a voltage variable capacitor. Um, it has a little different case style. It has a case style like a, a uh, uh, a transistor, a TO92 transistor with only two leads. But um, those are the two oddball diodes. The other diodes that are used are um, um, just, just uh, silicon diodes that have um, a single uh, single bar for their uh, cathode end. Um, but as uh, as George mentioned, it is critical to get the diodes in, in the right orientation or uh, they won't work properly. And uh, Believe me, uh, I'm sure we've all been there who've built, built kits or, uh, or homebrewed. We have diodes in the wrong way. But um, the diodes are a, a clever, inexpensive way of doing some uh, circuit functions in, uh, in Dave's kits. And uh, they do a good job here. I, uh, I really like the way he distributes uh, the uh, functions around the, uh, the board to, um, to make things simple. And uh, it simplifies wiring, too. Um, sometimes power wiring gets uh, bonkers when you uh, when you have uh, a regulator and you've got to run the power leads all over the place. Right. Um, Dave does it simply with the uh, Zener diodes, uses the uh, things to their their best uh, best purpose. Um, and the only diode that is kind of a pain in the butt is the uh, tuning diode, um, as with many leaded components, they're becoming unobtainium these days. And I know George spent a fair amount of time uh, finding a source that was uh, reasonably priced um, since they're discontin basically discontinued items. Um, the uh, people who have them in stock um, tend to price them awfully high. So I know George did a lot of legwork in trying to uh, the right diode and um, one that worked. We evaluated a couple, uh, couple alternatives. I'm not sure if the final one is a 1662 or another device, but um, the, um, the D1 that is in your kit uh, will work just as well as um, in the original design. 
And so much for diodes. And a lot there is, actually. Does anybody have any questions on diodes? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Dave. No, I just wanted to say that I've, I've noticed on a number of, uh, well, circuits for similar things on, online, that rather than using a capacitor in there, they're using a, uh, believe it or not, a 1N4004 reverse biased and using it as, a, as the tuning capacitor in that, in that circuit. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Joe, did you want to comment on that? Yeah, indeed. Uh, if, if you need a small capacitance and uh, you don't need a large capacitance range, the uh, uh, 1 in 4004 is, uh, is good. Um, some people have also used LEDs that way. Um, the MV1662 here is, uh, I believe it's 100 or 200 picofarads, so it has um, higher capacitance. Um, which is needed in uh, in here to get the, um, the fairly wide tuning or wide enough tuning range at uh, two megahertz. But uh, indeed, people have gotten very clever about uh, substituting other diodes for uh, for the vari voltage variable caps and uh, used it to good effect. Any other questions about diodes here? Alrighty. And by the way, if you haven't noticed it, at the bottom of the page, at the bottom of our whiteboard, we have uh, a schematic that I've been kind of looking over as, as we've been talking about the different uh, components thus far. Um, so you can kind of refer to that and if, if uh, throughout the discussion here too. A cool part about this schematic is characteristic that Dave um, has has done over time with almost all of his projects, I think, and that is provide a uh, what I call the troubleshooting schematic. Oh, what he calls it that too. Uh, the troubleshooting schematic, which shows the voltages, both um, uh, AC measurements, uh, DC measurements, and other types of specialty indications on there, which is just fabulous for going through and troubleshooting your circuit, i.e., getting it working uh, when it's. Uh, when you've got a circuit that's already proven and all you have to do is put it together or, you know, the design itself is proven, but it's not working, that's called troubleshooting. Um, the, uh, is it just concluding the diodes, I look around the, and I see like there's maybe five different functions of the diodes in here, just general functions. So Joe mentioned the voltage regulation. Um, they're on U5, or I say D11, down in the lower left-hand corner just above U5. Um, he mentioned the variable, variable. The, yeah. the capacitance there, um, the very cap diode on D1 within the, in the, uh, the VFO that we're going to get to shortly. Um, there's a, uh, uh, another... There's another diode that um, there's a, a clipping diodes, diode. clamping or clipping diodes uh, that are shown in the lower right-hand corner that main that limit the RF voltage to just a few, not the uh, RF voltage, I guess. Yeah, it is RF voltage just to a, a certain um, level, maybe about 1.5 uh, volts peak-to-peak. Uh, -peak. Um, there is a... Um, um, 
uh, polarity protection diode D13 right there at the power supply in the mid right side of the, of the page, as well as at the very top middle portion for uh, U3. You see D2 there. And those uh, provide protection against uh, reverse polarity, or in the case of D2, provides maybe a slight, slight uh, um, voltage drop that, uh, that a circuit might need. And of course, you've got the, the standard rectification type of uh, functions and so on. Uh, the, the ubiquitous uh, diode. Anyways, thought we'd mention that since the diodes are so special to the project and so careful to be installed. And as you're looking at the components, um, some of the free or open, uh, loose components, um, um, it's, it's kind of, kind important, of important to, to see, see that at, get the right ones. Alan, Alan, your, your box, box is, apparently is apparently on W0NLY, so if you could adjust that to go to PTT, that'd be great. Um, get a lot of feedback when uh, when somebody's talking. So um, that's about it on the diode. Let's, uh, if there's no other thing, let's move into the VFO, the main subject for tonight's uh, uh, episode. And uh, if you haven't noticed from the, the whiteboard, it's just uh, it's kind of a clean, straightforward approach that we're doing tonight. But it's really, really uh, informational. And uh, again, thanks to Mike and some of his troubleshooting and measurement and spectrum uh, displays. We've got a we've got some good features here tonight that that are going to help you make sure that you've got it uh, built right and that you kind of understand what's going on. That's the fun part of the Elmer 101 series. So Joe, why don't you lead us into the VFO circuit. Um, um, the schematic fragment is shown in the VFO. I got a couple things to say. And it is uh, shown in kind of the yellow, a yellow highlighted uh, circle inset there. So we can follow along there just as easily too. But Joe, take us away to start us off. All right, very good. That is a uh, um, fairly simple circuit, but it's it's the heart of tuning in uh, in this radio. Um, it uses a, um, a simple NPN transistor in uh, what's called a, a Colpit circuit, which um, it's a little complicated to look at, but uh, basically a Colpit has um, um, it's a collector, the transistor's collector at uh, RF ground Correct. potential, Correct. and a tuned circuit connected uh, between its base and uh, ground, and then a um, uh, couple of capacitors connected uh, as a tapped capacitor uh, configuration between the base and uh, and ground. So that uh, that provides the uh, the feedback. There are a couple other capacitors in there, and I won't go into the function of all of them, but they set the uh, the tuning range um, of the circuit um, with the uh, the voltage variable capacitor. The voltage variable capacitor uh, D1 is uh, reverse biased by a variable voltage um, integrated circuit U2 regulates, uh, has an 8, eight uh, volt regulated output that's applied to a potentiometer um, that is uh, off board uh, that 
adjust the voltage, the reverse bias voltage on uh, the voltage variable capacitor through a, uh, a resistor for uh, isolation. And then this reverse voltage um, varies the what's called the band gap of the uh, of the diode, which um, varies the uh, effective capacitance of it to tune the oscillator. Um, most of the capacitors in there are um, NP0 capacitors, which uh, have a very low uh, temperature coefficient to uh, enhance the stability of the oscillator. And uh, there's a toroidal inductor, L1, which um, has self-shielding properties so that it can be mounted on a PC board and uh, not be coupled to everything else on there. And it packs a, a lot of inductance in a small package to give good tuning. Then the output of the um, the oscillator, this Colpitts oscillator, is uh, coupled to uh, a mixer. Mixer, I can't see. Oh, it's U5 um, through a small capacitance. Very clever circuit um, configuration there. A lot of functions in a little package, and um, it it works darn near as well as the old uh, air variable capacitor for a whole heck of a lot less. Air variable capacitors are awfully expensive these days, um, so this this does the job and uh, does it quite well with uh, some some more modern circuits. And then um, it's it's not part of the function tonight, but uh, this this oscillator um, works at uh, about 2.43 megahertz. It's then heterodyned uh, for different uh, circuit functions for transmit and receive so that uh, the uh, end net result is in the um, the 10 meter the 30 meter band 10.1 megahertz um, but that's a topic for another uh, another session back to you George nice overview Joe it's uh, quick and uh, pretty much to the point um, I'm kicking myself here because I've wanted to do all sorts of little things along the way but just have either forgotten about them or whatever um, Kind of a useful thing, an educational thing that uh, builders might want to do is uh, to look up Colpitt's oscillator in the AWRL handbook um, or uh, look at the EMRFD, um, Electro, um, Experimental Methods for RF Design. Um, pretty much the Bible for um, um, homebrewers who really want to understand the circuits and their operation and the descriptions given on of different variations of uh, topology for uh, the oscillators are are really given there well and um, you can learn a lot um, through that another thing that i forgot to put in but i will follow up um, and as an update to the page is uh, I wanted to take some snapshots, some pictures of my scope, my screen, the screen, the screen of my scope, as uh, uh, when measuring the the signals in order to to actually see the um, the signals. And I think Mike put, uh, if I were to go down there, yeah, Mike did put, and and I included there in the test procedure for this, the um, <clears throat> the measured uh, uh, the measurements, um, as I recall, and Mike, I'm going to ask you this in a second here, 
As I recall, the signal was surprisingly sinusoidal. Sinusoidal. Um, it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty darn. It was it was a lot better than other oscillators that I've seen that were asymmetrical and pointy topped and oblong bottom or whatever. And uh, um, that was that was a very reassuring thing. Nice nice to see that uh, signal on the scope. Mike, do you recall what that looked like? Test one two three. Do I have audio? Yes, you do. Okay. Uh, it was a nice, clean signal. Yes, indeed. George, uh, down in the comments, there's uh, some questions people have asked about power connectors and things like that that you might want to touch on just briefly. And I've also got one other parts-related comment. Uh, two of the RF chokes, I believe, that are on the uh, sheet with the capacitors will not be used. And replacements are provided in a uh, sort of taped square with, uh, I think, there's maybe three different uh, capacitor and uh, two RF chokes. Make sure you use the right ones when you put things together. Oh, good point. I forgot all about that, too. Gee whiz. It's been quite but, hectic uh, getting things all done. And, and again, I had some travel come upon me. So, um, yeah, it, we did have, um, we had a parts error during ordering. And ultimately, the corrections were put on a little square um, piece of paper for, as I recall, one capacitor and two chokes. So the note on that uh, is pretty self-explanatory. And to use those parts in place of uh, the RF chokes, uh, I forget which ones they were, one and two or one and three, whatever. Um, and uh, I'll put that notation here in, in the uh, the master uh, manual and, and on the web page. And as far, I, I quickly scanned the, the the comments in the chat section. I didn't see um, I didn't see for the connector, but um, I ordered the the wrong, not entirely wrong, but not the optimal um, size power jack um, that uh, gets installed in the in the enclosure, if you have it, or just on the end of the cable, uh, the power lead. Um, it's a, a, a fatter kind, I guess, uh, what is it, 2.5 millimeter interconductor. And if you use the standard, uh, standard coaxial DC power connectors that many of us use on the bench, it's got an interconnect, it, it accommodates an inter, uh, it accommodates a inner, conductor lead of um, the pin size is 2.1. So it is loose. Do I have that right or I might have it backwards? But anyways, it's the wrong one. So what I did, and we included it in the kit, is the proper size plug. So um, just uh, use that plug with the, uh, with the SW30 kit and you'll be all set. Joe, you had a a nifty comment on that topic, didn't you? Yeah, well, a couple of comments. Uh, number one, uh, there's nothing nothing better than a standard, having standards because there's so many to choose from. Um, power connectors are in that category. Many of the, uh, the QRP uh, radios use the 5.5, uh, 2.1 millimeter plugs. Um, but if you look at... Uh, Things like the, um, I think Ellicraft is pretty uh, consistent with that. 
But if you look at things like the um, um, KD1JV radios, the AT radios, um, they all use something smaller, a uh, if you will, a non-standard standard connector. And uh, things like the um, uh, FT817, popular with the uh, QRP community, uh, that also uses a different standard power connector. So the way I use, uh, I, I try to keep track of the darn things, is every time I have a power cable for something, I try to put a label on it of some sort, um, a tape label of some sort, uh, indicating uh, which radio it goes to, so that I don't try to plug the wrong connector into the wrong, um, wrong radio. Uh, the scheme that George uses is, he, used color, he uses colored dots on his connectors and um, has a, um, the same colored dot on um, the radio that it goes with so you don't, uh, you don't confuse your connectors. Um, I also have to admit that uh, I make up a whole bunch of uh, little adapters, some um, plug and uh, jack adapters so that if, uh, if I don't have the right cable, I have an adapter to... Uh, to uh, to connect um, almost anything to almost anything else, um, at least on a temporary basis. Yeah, that's indeed, uh, that's, those are good practices. Did somebody else have a comment there again? Uh, I did. Sure, go ahead, I. Yeah, this is Rick. Uh, one other comment. Uh, I don't know whether when you put all this material together, you anticipated that everybody who bought one of the kits would be a experienced kit builder. Uh, but for those folks who are building their, their first kit, uh, they may run into a bit of a problem when they come to L1 to actually winding the toroids. And uh, I had benefited by actually attending a class on how to wind toroids. Uh, but I think it would be useful if you, uh, in the instructions, had put in uh, probably just a pointer to some location on the internet where somebody gives you a visual idea of what it really takes to wind a toroid. Good point. Well, you know, we, we assume that we know that builders will know which end of the soldering iron to grab onto, kind of the, the least common denominator there. But uh, um, I think um, it's always handy to have a, um, a toroid winding diagram which indicates, which shows how how that can be done and counting the toroids, uh, the windings through, around the toroid and, and such like that. Uh, but thanks for that tip, Rick. I think it, uh, I will add that. I've taken a note here, definitely, uh, to put that in here. Um, other questions here? Uh, if I could make a quick comment. Oh, sure, Craig, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Uh, when I uh, wound my uh, toroid for that L1, uh, I found out uh, when I fired it up that I was a low in frequency. And, of course, <clears throat> all the capacitors we're going to be adding later to um, compensate for it. There's a series of capacitors. You can pick the right one you want to bring it into range, and they all lower the, um, the total frequency, and there's no way to raise it. 
So I'm actually going through right now and uh, taking a couple windings off my L1 uh, coil uh, just to bring it up in frequency so then I can compensate for it. So it's just something to watch out for. It's very possible that people will have to adjust it, just like I'm doing. Great point. Um, curiously, mine was right on, and that, but component variability um, does offer the chance of uh, tolerances kind of stacking up against you or, you know, in the low end or high end overall to create a different uh, oscillating frequency. Um, Dave does go through, and we now have updated the manual to include it. And I also pointed people to Dave's original manual, which did have these items, the, the toroid winding and uh, the addition of the capacitor for compensating for some of these tolerances. Um, but Dave's manual does go through some of that, what Craig was just mentioning, the, um, the technique for getting the frequency to be uh, pretty much uh, where it needs to be. And I think the bottom line, just looking ahead or talking ahead, um, the, um, the frequency, the low end of the, of the tuning dial, um, uh, J2, that's no, not J2, whatever the, the tuning resistor is that the pot shown on the left hand side the low end the counterclockwise uh, point on that would put the operating frequency about 10.1 uh 10.100 uh, uh, megahertz and um, if your condition is like what craig mentioned or what mike was alluding to you know l1 is probably going to be the thing uh or C7 is the one that Mike was referring to. The C7 is where you can put in different uh, different values of C7 that were all provided in the kit in order to bring it to that uh, usable portion, or at least a consistent portion of the band uh, where others operate as well. It's a little confusing too, George. I might say that um, if you put a frequency counter on it right at this stage, you're going to get something like 2.4 megahertz. You're not going to see 10.1. So you, whatever frequency you measure at the VFO, if you add uh, 7.68 megahertz to it, that should come out to 10.1 if you're right on. So if you turn the pot fully counterclockwise and measure the frequency, you can see how close you are to the range you want to be in at the, at the end. 7.68 is the magic number you have to add. That'll be the IF frequency. May I inject a comment? Sure. Yeah, um, one one thing that um, might affect uh, what you're doing is um, where you put the frequency counter, where you connect the frequency counter. You could add, um, you could load the frequency, so uh, the capacitance of the uh, cable, whatever, the frequency counter might make it look uh, somewhat low, depending on where you connect it in. What I prefer to do, if I can, is to uh, use a separate receiver. Um, happens the KX3 is a very good uh, receiver to use for that. Use that to measure the frequency just with a wire laying close to the circuit board so that I don't have a, uh, a freak counter hooked up there that will uh, pull the thing off frequency um, um, so that uh, when the loading of the uh, frequency counter is not there, the frequency will then go to a higher value. So anyway, just um, just a thing I do to try to uh, circumvent uh, um, measurement, adding measurement error to what I'm doing. 
What was the precise frequency you acquired? Uh, 2.4. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, so if you say, uh, if you, if you um, look at the frequency of the crystal, which I don't have it in front of me at the moment, it's 7 point something. Craig, what was that? 7.68. Take 7.68 and you add 2.4 plus or minus a little bit, you'll end up with 10.1 when the, uh, when the tuning pot is totally counterclockwise, that is toward ground, when there is no voltage on the uh, on the diode, uh, on the D1, the tuning diode. And there isn't a typo or anything. We're talking about 10.1 frequency, 10.1 um, megahertz. That's, you. the user is instructed to measure the output um, of the of the rig as 10.1 megahertz with all of the other circuits involved, which takes, of course, starts with the 2.4 megahertz uh, VFO, mixes it with the 7.68 uh, megahertz crystal, and um, and uh, uses the sum of it going into the subsequent cir um, circuits. By the way, that um, 2.4 is approximate. Because if you add 2.4 and 7.68, you come up with uh, 10.08. So it's in that ballpark, and it may have to be tweaked slightly depending on what the crystals are. As well as the capacitors that we were talking about for C7. So that's all part of the magic of the of the designer, and uh, accommodating the and uh, accommodating the populating the circuit with the right values. And the right kinds of capacitors, NP0s for low temperature coefficient, uh, uh, take care of the drifting, and for the parts supplier, da -da -da, in order for um, you to get the uh, uh, right parts in the kit as you can. And speaking for Joe, uh, Joe took a great deal of effort in sorting all of the crystals to ensure that they were all within the same uh, bin if you will, bin of frequencies um, that will help, of course, the output frequency be and, and be what you think it should be, as well as um, the selectivity um, of the of the um, of the filtering in between the VFO and the output circuit. Joe, did you want to comment quickly on that? Yeah, um, as with any uh, physical object. Um, Quartz crystals, particularly uh, ones that are made for, uh, generally most of them are made for uh, computer use or digital circuit use these days, they have a tolerance to them. So um, the object is, the object of the uh, matching was to get them within a uh, specified tolerance. And um, off the top of my head, I believe uh, Dave's number was within 40 hertz. So all of the crystals that were selected, there are five in the radio. All of them were selected to be within a, um, a range of um, uh, within uh, 40 hertz of each other so that uh, indeed the um, transmitting frequency comes out um, properly and um, with the uh, offset that's built into the radio and that the uh, receive frequency is appropriate and um, the uh, bandpass of the uh, receive crystal 
bandpass filter uh, gives you a good smooth um, sharp uh, good smooth um, top with uh, sharp sides so that you get good selectivity. It's um, it's not a big deal, but um, it takes a little little bit of doing to uh, get the tech technique down right to uh, uh, to get those measurements done. And um, after that, uh, just a lot of drudgery to uh, crank out a hundred sets of the darn things. George, I got a little comment. Sure. Uh, the inductance of L1 can also be adjusted a little bit by changing the spacing of the turns. So that uh, at this point, uh, in just building up the VFO, get it close, and uh, we'll worry about getting it perfect later. Good point. And I'm not sure if that was listed in uh, Dave's original manual, too. I'm thinking it might. It was our guidance all the way along to also check out the original manual that we provided in the documents uh, link um, on the project page itself, uh, the one at midnightdesignsolutions.com. Uh, uh, and um, maybe I'll put that here on this page too. But it wasn't our intent to replicate the manual in, the, in its entirety. Dave has some great things that he included there that we did borrow heavily from. But uh, we wanted to inject our own flavor for the whole thing, too. Let's see, Joe, did you mention, um, or, or would you like to mention, perhaps, uh, the function of U2, the 78L08? You mentioned about how it's nice that he, um, that he regulates the, the voltage. Um, but how it feeds the the tuning potentiometer is uh, th there's a reason for that, of course. I'm, I'm pressing my mouse button rather than the control key for a push to talk. Good lord, get your uh, get your button straight, Joe. Joe you got to push the right button. Yeah, um, U2, the 78L08, is an integrated circuit uh, voltage regulator. Dave used that here because it um, it gives uh, precision regulation that's needed for uh, for the tuning voltage. He could have used a Zener diode, but um, they don't have as good regulation as a uh, an integrated circuit regulator. So he used that so that we have a stable eight volts feeding the potentiometer, so that the um, the voltage doesn't vary as uh, the input voltage to the uh, to the radio uh, varies around, or with temperature, or anything else that a Zener diode would, which would um, unfortunately cause uh, the uh, tuning voltage to change over time and uh, cause uh, unwanted drift in the transmitted or received signal. That was one place where it was appropriate to use a uh, a regulator and uh, incur uh, you know another twenty cents or whatever cost. But um, it was important. Yeah, and I'm looking around. It, it also says, uh oh, Mike, can you hear me? Yeah, okay. I was on a different part, a different application. Um, it also says that it supplies 8 volts elsewhere in the circuit. That's the purpose for that symbol. Um, 
well, where the arrow that points to 8 volts, that means it's sourced elsewhere. If you look elsewhere on the circuit, 8 volts is used at the as a as the power in the power lead to u uh, u3 in the upper center upper upper center um that particular mixer um whereas the uh the lower mixer the one that uh, for transmit uh um u oh u5 in the lower left does not use 8 volts there um, and in fact, the mixer in the upper left for receive, uh, the, uh, the input receive mixer is, uh, <laughs> that's got a different voltage yet. So Joe, I'm wondering where, why, why, um, since we're talking power supply in this circuit, eight volts, oh, and there's, oh, eight volts way over in the output chain. Nice, clean, um, maybe. I don't know. Joe, where else is uh, 8 volts really essential in the circuit? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of winging it here. Um, um, it is used on um, the receive mixer, uh, U3. It feeds there, and it feeds through a diode so that there's a little voltage drop. You don't feed the full 8 volts to, the, uh, to uh, U3, which probably would not like that much, uh, that high voltage. I think the object there is to provide a stable voltage source for it because um, in addition to being a mixer, U3 is a crystal oscillator. So I suppose Dave wanted to uh, keep the voltage stable to uh, keep the crystal on uh, crystal oscillator portion of that circuit on frequency. And also it's used to bias the uh, audio output stage U4. Um, through a resistor so that there was a stable uh, operating point for the uh, for the audio amp that it didn't vary all over the place. I'm kind of guessing on that, but uh, I think that, uh, uh, and also the output stage, he, he um, yeah, the op amp, uh, he uses 8 volts. So I think he's trying to keep, uh, keep voltages stable where it's important and um, he does pump around the uh, 8 volts from that regulator uh, to several places. Like I say, these are guesses, but uh, that's uh, that's my best guess. Yeah, Mike, go ahead. Okay, uh, part of the regulation issues are that the uh, VFO always runs in transmit and receive, and it gets the, its power from the uh, IC regulator. The mixer, uh, the second mixer in the receiver also always runs because that gets uh, side tone. The uh, U5 mixer, that uh, only runs during transmit and uh, the keying, power keying transistor Q3 uh, turns that on and off only when we're uh, transmitting. Good explanation. That's good stuff. Mike, can you um, can you describe how one can determine if the oscillator is oscillating without having an oscilloscope? Well, the very easiest way is with a receiver, loosely coupled. Uh, just lay as, as you already mentioned. Uh, 
the antenna lead near the circuit, and uh, if you can hear it, uh, it's oscillating. That's a good way. And how about if you, is there a way to determine if there are sufficient um, voltage levels or if it's clean or anything like that? Well, the clean part's a little bit harder. The voltage level, if you make a simple uh, uh, RF uh, voltmeter adapter for a uh, DC voltmeter, uh, takes a diode uh, capacitor, maybe a resistor or so. Uh, you can uh, measure the voltage, and I believe in a number of my uh, uh, tests, I did report the voltage that I measured. The, the cleanness, if you don't have an oscilloscope, uh, that, that's going to be a rougher thing. A spectrum analyzer, of course, would work great. Uh, you could look at how much harmonic content there is, but uh, uh, otherwise uh, you're going to have a hard time. <laughs> thank you. That's what I was actually trying to get you to, to mention. And uh, thank you for that, by the way. the uh, Getting the RF probe, the RF uh, detector um, into the manuals. I need to make sure that I've that I represent that I that I included in in our uh, in the master manual here. But I knew, do know that we've talked about it, and it's a real handy thing. And not everybody has an oscilloscope, um, but most of us have a, a voltmeter DVM. Um, uh, doesn't take too much magic to you can take just about any DVM and place a diode and a resistor and a capacitor on there, and it turns out to be pretty helpful. And it's uh, it's uh, um, indicating the proper voltages. You have a little bit more confidence. So that coupled with uh, using a receiver to to hear the signal that's being generated, and you kind of play theremin with it by wiggling your finger or touching the uh, uh, touching your finger close to transistor Q2 in order to hear the signal varying, which is always kind of a fun thing to do. Um, Mike, since we're, we're on you, um, what I'd like to do is transition over to the spectrum. Um, I think you were having some real fun one day with your, um, with your Rigel and, um, and all of its different functions and capabilities, and i got to admit, those are some pretty sexy uh, pictures that you took there um, of the signals. And you want to kind of walk us through that, what we have here on the whiteboard? Okay. I, I don't remember all the details mathematically, but the, the general idea is when you have a mixer, uh, you get some indifference products. So uh, I was uh, using the spectrum analyzer to see, yes, are they really all there? And uh, the simplicity uh, of this circuit uh, just you know, really emphasizes things that we learned in the theory. Uh, the 2.4, uh, see, where am I looking? I'm not sure exactly even where I had it uh, connected at this point. Uh, looking at the VFO output at R15, okay. Uh, and I guess there's my comments. Uh, everyone can read them as well as I. The highest level is the VFO uh, voltage. Uh, we see some harmonics there. Uh, okay, I guess uh, this one isn't uh, 
mixer products. Uh, this is mostly the uh, uh, VFO uh, voltage and the harmonics. And if you wanted to talk about how clean that uh, sine wave is, uh, the less harmonics you get, uh, it means it's going to be a cleaner signal. Yeah, and uh, we see some other other um, uh, blips there, uh, number four specifically, um, and that's a obviously you've uh, that was taken with the crystals in place because that's the crystal frequency, so that's showing up on this spectrum as well, um, pretty fair, uh, fairly well, well down, down from the level, the level of, of the of the, the uh, um, Alan, your, your box is kicking, kicking or you're or pressing, pressing the PTT. The PTT. Thanks. Um, fairly down for the level of the oscillator itself. Now, Joe, did you have any, did you want to make any observations here on this? Uh, you've got a fancy uh, rival. I don't know if it's the same one that can show this uh, information. Actually, I don't have a Rigel, um spectrum analyzer. I only have a Rigel scope. My spectrum analyzer is the um, venerable HP um, 101. Yeah, okay, 10T or something. Anyways, um, yeah. Any 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 observations here that we can make um, beyond what Mike has said? How about the noise floor? Uh, can you comment, uh, Joe, on the signal noise? Uh, signal noise, I guess, is the is would be the measurement here. Yeah, that that um, that's usually um, with with signals like this. That's not it's not an easy thing to do um, uh, rigorously. Um, you can see that uh, the noise is suppressed, and I I don't have the the figure up for that, but it's suppressed by at least 40 dB or so. Um, if you had uh, something in the power line that was uh, causing uh, uh, causing the uh, noise sidebands to be higher, you might see something uh, perhaps only 20 or 30 dB down from the peak value. value. But um, you generally want the uh, background noise off frequency uh, to be suppressed by quite a bit. And indeed, a spectrum analyzer is the uh, device to use uh, for that. But... Um, it's uh, it's not a beginner's project to uh, do that uh, very rigorously. No, I hear you. I've got I've got an mm -hmm. spectrum analyzer too. I've got uh, the number. Mm -hmm. It's an HP, or um, and uh, I'll, I'll put it on here myself and see how how things look. It looks like it's about the signal is poking up about 70 dB above whatever the noise floor of the instrument itself, but that really doesn't tell you George, too comment. Who's got the comment? Um, yeah, you, you have to be careful when you put a spectrum, when you hook a spectrum analyzer in there, um, because uh, the spectrum analyzer input is generally 50 ohms. So you want to load down the circuit. So while you may have uh, uh, good relative numbers between the, uh, the fundamental and the harmonics or the uh, other um, spectral components, the amplitudes will not be what you uh, get with a high impedance uh, uh, measuring device uh, connected in there. So um, you may be um, you may be uh, 
dismayed at what you see because the levels are not what um, would be predicted by the numbers in the schematic, simply because the 50 ohms of the spectrum analyzer will load down the circuit and uh, cause the measurements, the measured values to be lower. Great point. Great things to keep in mind. I think what we'll do is have a, uh, we'll have a separate uh, session toward the end and kind of do a measurement walk through the, the entire circuit, the signal chains. And uh, maybe, I've always been hoping to do one of these in a live broadcast uh, mode using um, a video broadcasting application called Zoom. Check it out if you get a chance. Z-O-O-M. It's uh, free and uh, it, we use it at work here and it's, it's really a nice, uh, it's a nice thing. So for the oh, 30, I don't know, maybe 25 or 30 that are on the show here tonight, you all would be able to see the live uh, whatever is being transmitted here or broadcast on my side and then uh, in reverse as well. So we'd be able to see your screen or your smiling face if you wanted to do that as well. But uh, I can easily see putting a camera on uh, my measurement equipment here and we can actually walk through and understanding things. As I've said so often, it's it's not real for me until I can see it and measure it and, and then understand the, um, the meaning behind those measurements. Um, any questions about the spectrum analyzer? We only have one more little topic and then we'll wrap it up for the night here. But any other, uh, any questions about the, the spectrum view or any of the other measurements of the circuit? Okay, I go through this and I'm, I keep asking myself, okay, and it's, it's been several weeks since I put mine together, but still when I put it together, it, it happened to work straight off. But if it didn't work straight away, the things that you want to look for are that you have the proper voltages and you can use the schematic, the annotated schematic at the end of the web page in order to see that you indeed have the right voltages. Um, and the DC voltages are the easiest ones to start off with to check with your, your simple little DVM. And uh, it's usually a good indication. Uh, Mike pointed out in his write-up that 90, uh, that a certain, per, the large percentage of problems are going to be wrong parts. Uh, either you grab the wrong part or, um, um, well, you grab the wrong part because we know that the right parts are supplied in the kit. So some of the parts are tricky seeing them, uh, like I mentioned, the loose diodes. It's kind of important to make sure you get a, a 7.5 volt Zener diode instead of the 35 volt Zener diode and, um, and get that in the right spot because if it, if it's not the right one, you'll have your DC measurements will be off. Mike also went on to mention that uh, the um, solder opens and shorts are another great source of, of problems uh, for circuits that are not working. Take a look at your um, your soldering job under a microscope um, or a, mic a, uh, yeah, a magnifying glass. Uh, take a good look under good lighting and and just make sure you've got things uh, separated when they should be and connected when they, they should be as well. Um, you might want to take and take your, uh, take some, oh gosh, Joe, what's the uh, cleaning fluid? Uh, acetone? 
Yeah, acetone is, is a good one. Just don't breathe too much of it and uh, don't have any open flames around. That will uh, clean flux off very, very effectively. Yeah, my board was full of flux after I got the different portions done. So I I took, uh, I, I have uh, flux off, a can of flux off where you can use acetone. Uh, nail polish remover also works. And uh, you can liberally apply that. And I use an old toothbrush um, to scrub scrub the board down and, and get it nice and clean. It looks really nice when you're all done. And it also just eliminates... Uh, uh, any kind of uh, uh, potential high impedance connections that you didn't think about. Obi mentions that he uses rubbing alcohol and it works pretty well. Um, um, so if you have the components then in, right, if you've got good solder connections, if you've got a good, uh, uh, if, you, if your board is cleaned off well, if your ICs are plugged in um, properly oriented, and uh, if your diodes are all and properly uh, oriented in the circuit board, um, chances are really good that the thing is going to work. And Joe, I think you had uh, kind of one of the parting comments here. I think uh, a practice you taught me many years ago, and I follow it to this day. Instead of using my big honker power supply to test initial circuits here, you use batteries. Can you tell us why? Ah, uh, yes. Um, yeah, I use uh, uh, carbon zinc batteries. From, uh, I buy them from the dollar store. They're dirt cheap. Um, the reason being that um, when you have an unknown circuit, if you have an inadvertent um, a diode in backwards or if you have a short circuit, uh, you have a, uh, a big hunk in power supply or a, um, an alkaline battery that can supply a lot of current, you can burn things up. Um, the uh, AAA uh, carbon zinc batteries, the cheap so-called heavy-duty batteries I use, um, if you try to draw too much current too quickly, um, the voltage drops to nothing. So it's, it's kind of self-protecting without having a fuse in there and has saved my bacon uh, more than once. I ha I've had um, the batteries get red hot um, because of a short circuit and um, the uh, circuit that uh, had the short circuit didn't uh, didn't fry, and um, a thing called polarization inside the battery causes bubble to form bubbles to form on the electrodes. Uh, so then, when you take the um, when you take the load off, the voltage returns and the batteries return to uh, fairly normal. Cheap way of uh, getting around having a uh, power supply, an expensive power supply with uh, current regulation. I have a question. Sure, go ahead. What is the receive current draw on this uh, transceiver? Um, I had that noted someplace. I've forgotten. I think it's on the order of 30 mils, 30 milliamps. Is that right, Mike and Joe, your experience? Yeah, it's on that order, 30, 35 mils. Thank you. Now, transmit when you get uh, when we get to the transmit uh, circuits installed and testing some of those out transmit uh, current can go up to now there are two I forgot but we're we're talking like an amp 
Do I have that right? That sounds excessive. It's about right. Yeah, you would think, for a couple of watts. Um, all right. Jeez, uh, we've just about come to the end here. Are there any open questions that that maybe has been on your mind? Because if you're thinking of something, chances are somebody else is thinking it too, but just not speaking up. I sure hope that um, you all are, are kind of following through um, with us, either before, during, or after your own build. I hope you're your building, in other words, that uh, sure would be reassuring to me uh, and to Joe and me as, you know, the kind of uh, the, the honchos here and putting out this kit that everybody is, is actually doing it. Sure would hate to see this sitting on somebody's shelf for two or three years or sold on eBay later on because uh, you didn't build it at first. The whole effort here, the whole purpose is to is to get it working, have fun and understanding getting it working and then have fun using it so that's uh we would urge you to do that um but is there anything else on anybody's mind this at this point here um understanding that uh we, we talked about the vfo you see some signals you'll see a signal coming out uh and and hear it on a test receiver if things are working right and that question about received current is a great one. If you can measure your current with your DVM or out of your power supply, um, you'll uh, you'll see 30 mils or so. And uh, next time we're going to get into part four and five. And on the schematic, that's in a lower left portion, uh, just below the VFO. It's uh, the transmit mixer, keying, and... Uh, uh, the two transformers right after that. So we'll be able to see, we'll be able to see um, uh, two more frequencies of interest um, um, and talk about them here next uh, in two weeks from now. So, but for now, are there any other questions that uh, are on your mind? Uh, uh, Can George? Sure, go ahead. Okay, uh, one thing you kind of overlooked on the troubleshooting portion, which may affect some of the newer people in the kits and toroids and coil winding, is the fun that not scraping the insulation off that magnet wire can create. Uh, it'll solder just fine, and then you find out it really doesn't connect into the circuit. Um, one thing that's greatly appreciated is you guys were kind enough to throw the newer type magnet wire in there where the uh, coating dissolves with enough heat or solder applied to it uh, as opposed to having to get out the old sandpaper or exacto knife blade and scrape the thing. But um, again, one quick comment is check the coil after you solder it in or pre-tin that wire before you solder the coil into the board because uh, poor solder connections on toroids are another classic gotcha. That is such a great comment, Carl, and thank you so much for pointing that out. Um, yeah, we we supplied solder ease is a commercial version of it. And Joe, Joe and I, I chuckle here because Joe and I went round and round on the phone one night I was ordering the, the right, uh, trying to order the right magnet wire, and and they don't list it as solder ease, and they have thermal breakdowns of the enamel coating, and and I wasn't sure which one to order, so we were doing all sorts of 
head scratching and research to find out that we indeed got the right stuff. Um, but it's so much nicer as most of our kits these days do provide uh, magnet wire that is uh, heat strippable. Just sticking it, uh, sticking the end in an open flame or on a soldering tip that has uh, solder um, liberally on it uh, will generally uh, um, strip it back. It'll melt off the uh, um, the um, the enamel coating. Actually, the process is that the flux gets the hot flux gets in and under the enamel and then lifts and breaks off the uh, the enamel. So it's a combination of melting it off and, and popping it off and all of that, but um, it, it is very helpful to do that. Um, we'll have a section, we'll have a, a little vignette next time on the coil winding, because we have another coil or two or three or four coming up, and getting those done is always fun. People look at coil winding, toroid winding as a nemesis, of any kind of a project, uh, but it's really not so, and it's it's kind of as long as you can keep counting the right turns, it's while you're watching TV or something. Uh, it's kind of a uh, a straightforward thing to do. Comment, uh, George. Quick comment. Yeah, um, when you're doing the toroids, if you want to be sure you have the right uh, number of turns on there, you can use a digital camera or even your phone's camera. Um, do a close-up photo so that you can count the turns on the uh, toroid after you've wound it and uh, ascertain that um, you've got the uh, the right number there rather than trying to uh, uh, use your magnifier and fumble around and uh, try to count them by hand. If you have a, uh, a picture, it's much easier to do uh, the appropriate count. Right. Oh, that's that's good. Uh, good tip. Another good tip, I mean, we could. this is fun, we could talk about a lot of good stuff uh, a long time, but maybe a last thing is, if you haven't, if you're into kit building a lot and you really enjoy it, and if you, especially if you're into experimenting with your circuits on your own and whipping up things and modifying, a really good investment is a um, an LC meter. Many of us have the AAD. E LC meter 2, which I think is still being sold, and it's a really, really handy instrument, inexpensive in the scheme of things, and like it's been on my bench here for years, and it's one of those indispensable things. Um, when you wind your toroid, um, you want to measure it. You can see if you measure the, you know, the, the 1.5, uh, well, whatever the, the, the inductance might be. Um, if you're trying to see if you have the right resi uh, uh, capacitor, um, make you know, it's, it's an easy thing to measure. Just put your AADE LC meter on it, and you, you got it. Another tip too is just when you grab a resistor, make sure that it's the resistor, and you can measure. Make sure you got the right resistance, plus minus the. Uh, um, uh, make sure you're, you're installing the right thing. Um, let's see. Oh, and, um, just, a, a word of caution. Um, the chokes, the RF chokes look very similar to the resistors. Um, and they even have color bands that look very similar. So you want to be sure that you look, uh, 
uh, that, that you see the differences between them, resistors and the RF chokes. The chokes are just a tad thicker, and they have more of a tapered end to them as opposed to the thinner resistor, which has kind of a squarish end on each of the uh, sides of it where the leads come out. Okay, um, Joe, why don't you take us home and uh, wrap things up and tie the ribbons here. Very good. Yeah, it's uh, kind of been a fun session tonight. Um, this Elmer 101 is, um, is an attempt on our part to um, get people interested in uh, building kits. Um, we um, have the SW30 Plus as the uh, kit of interest here. Um, the uh, quantity of kits that was sold um, uh, were snapped up very quickly, showing uh, that people really do have an interest in it. Uh, what we're attempting to do is to, um, to give some guidance in uh, kit building to uh, womp up some interest and to provide um, kind of a support group, if you will, to, uh, to the builders of the kit. Um, Mike, W8BXN, has done an excellent job on providing um, um, a, uh, a paced out uh, document of uh, construction, um, building the, uh, the kit in sections and providing uh, tips and uh, measurements to do so that uh, you, you can build, a as we used to say in the industry, build a little, test a little. You uh, build a little bit up, you check it out, make sure that uh, what you've already built is working properly before you go on to the next section. And um, with these section, with these uh, sessions, the chat with the designer sessions, we're attempting to, um, to give just a little more guidance and uh, some tips as we, as we go along and to, uh, to get feedback from folks who've uh, done the building to uh, see what their successes or uh, their rough points have been. We went through a couple of the first sections of doing the construction tonight and um, highlighted some areas that um, perhaps in the instructions uh, might make things a little clearer to, uh, to the builders, particularly to those um, not uh, real familiar with kit building, so that uh, we can augment what's there. And um, as the uh, sessions go on, we'll um, build more and more, um, working on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, to, um, to build the uh, SW30 Plus. And um, finally, at the very end, we hope to have uh, about 100 people out there with uh, working kits who uh, not only understand how to build them, but have an appreciation for uh, the circuitry that's, uh, that's in there and uh, how it works. And then um, the final goal is to um, use them on the air and to uh, populate uh, 30 meters. So that's it for this evening. And uh, next Next uh, session will be in two weeks with a couple more sections to, uh, to describe. And um, we look for feedback in the meantime uh, for those who have appreciated this, uh, this session and uh, for um, uh, some hints on what, uh, what may prove useful to the builders for uh, future sessions. Uh, good evening, all. 73. Uh, Joey is out.